Sam, welcome for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, so look, here at the Backstuff Show, we we were born out of um, well, my minor experience of when I started the company. I didn't I didn't know where to go to find the most relevant and, and like accurate information about how to get over some key hurdles when we started out. Like, how do I raise money? How do I build an MVP? How do I market this for the first time? Like, I came from a B two B background. I moved into B two C. I didn't know what was good advice and bad advice. How do you find the right mentor? How, who should be your first hire? All these fundamental questions, I just didn't know the answer to. And I couldn't find anywhere where I could where I could really get hold of that data. So what I did was I just invited some people in who had been through it. So some incredible investors who tell the truth, um, some founders who had been through it and were living it. So that's what we do on the show. We get people on who just share their stories and tell us about about what it's like, yeah, the shit stuff, the good stuff, what they learned, what they've done well, what they've done badly, and that's that's where we are. So that's the show. But anyway, less about me. So thank you so much for coming on. It's a pretty big time for you, and we'll cover why it's such a big time in a minute. But first of all, imagine we're on a first date. Tell me about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Yeah. Thanks very much for, for having me. Um, I'm Sam O'Connor, and I'm the CEO and founder of Coconut. Uh, and we are trying to make self-employment easier than being employed. Great tagline, I'm in. Yeah. Easier than in. being employed. <laughs> easier than being employed. And the the backstory to this is that um, I actually trained as an accountant at PwC, where I met my uh, co-founder. Um, sounds like it's very exciting. What was the yeah, what, what was what did you what did you specialize in? In, in audit. Oh well, to the yeah. really exciting stuff. Really, really cool good stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, it was a. A bit of a weird choice for me, actually. No, but you don't look like an accountant. I mean, you. I no. Mean, I mean, you, and my mum, right, is probably the most blindly supportive person uh, of me that I know. As all mums should be. And I told her I was going to do audit, and she was like, mm, "Not sure, <laughs> not sure that's for you, but whatever." Does this column add up? <laughs> yes, it does, and I'm so good at this, mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm checking this out. But I made it through. Um, I got my. Uh, qualification. Yeah. Uh, I met Adam, my co-founder. Nice. And we actually, after qualify, we qualified. Oh, actually, just as an aside, I started at PwC in September 2008. And literally just afterwards, the whole economy crashed. Shit, so layman's just happened. It was like... Wow. And the, the people on my degree course who'd done a sandwich year got their graduate jobs a year later and there were very few graduate jobs so actually regardless of how much i didn't enjoy audit it was actually a really safe space to be and to learn yeah. during that really difficult time for everyone was that so, three or is it three two years three years to qualify three years three years so I was yeah. there three years and eight months down Sharon cross uh, actually, I was out in Ux I was cross between Uxbridge and in uh, Charing Cross. Yeah. Okay. I mean, less glamorous out in Uxbridge. But it is. Yeah. But fine. It's. Uh, um, it, I lived in Hammersmith at the time. Just whip out on the M4. Nice. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, so that was that was cool. I mean, you know, with all these things, you you learn a lot. <clears throat> actually, since um, since building a team, I've started to really realise the value of that kind of. Uh, grind that you go through in a corporate job where you're like very specifically focused on a, you know, quite a big task because you have an area where you can actually start to build structure, understand how you create processes and those kind of things. And I think those are valuable for a startup uh, environment as well. 
Um, but so was that your so was your first gig as a startup? So you were there for three years and you went straight into coconut. So three and a half years, no. And then we wanted to find something a bit more exciting, so we um, came up with an idea when we were at PwC because we, as auditors, sent letters out to banks a lot. Yeah. to verify cash balances of clients. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's the process that failed um, with Patisserie Valerie. So the whole fraud in Patisserie Valerie was ultimately boiled down to. I don't really know what, what happened. Explain to so, me. <clears throat> Remember, I'm not, I don't understand anything. Yeah, so make it so, simple. So yeah. in Patisserie Valerie, um, the whole business went under because there was basically a hole in in the cash balance that people right. thought was that uh, people thought there was more cash than there was. And usually what the auditor would do is check everything back to cash. And so they send a letter to the bank to say, what's the cash balance of this business? Is there anything else we should know about any loans or anything that are you know, yeah, secured yeah, against yeah, the business? Sure. And I used to do that through the post. Uh, and oh. we sat down and said, why isn't this done through the internet? Because I mean, so this is in two thousand and eight. Two thousand and eight. Yeah, you were doing it on through the post. Through the post. Brilliant. And so you'd have these situations where you'd be at the end of the audit, and everyone was sitting around the room waiting to sign off, and the letter hadn't come back from the bank, so it couldn't be signed off. So we were like, more secure, more efficient. Why don't we start a technology business? Neither of us could code, and we were like. Okay, I'm in. Let's do it. I love it, it already. I'm I love in. it. But yeah. that's that's business 101. There's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Let me solve it. I love exactly. it. You don't so, need to be a dev. Yeah. yeah. So um, so we were like, great, let's do it. And um, we sort of chatted to, we were like, right, how do you build software? Chatted to three people that we knew who um, who did that kind of thing. I don't, we didn't really know what yeah, it was. Yeah. How'd you find them? Uh, one of them was a friend of mine. Yeah, sure. Um, one of them Adam lived with, and the other was just a sort of loose acquaintance. And we chatted to all of them. Uh, one of them couldn't do it because of um, kind of personal reasons. Uh, one of them couldn't do it because they were on another project. And the other one was like, yeah, I'm in. There we go. So that was our first CTO. So so this, and what, what was it? What's the micro pitch? What were you doing? We were um, transforming audit confirmations. <laughs> so oh my God. replacing How- a postal process with an online system that did it. I'm surprised that people weren't banging down the door, like, because I mean, that's sexy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it was sexy enough that actually we got acquired. Oh, really? So how long were we yeah. running for? So, so we, were, we were, what happened was I was just about to get married and... Um, I was at Virgin Media because that's, I took a job at Virgin Media because I wanted to do the business in the evenings and weekends. As a side hustle? As a, yeah. Oh, right, nice. So uh, I used to work, I worked on the Netflix deal at 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 Virgin Media and a few other things and doing some modeling for for their, not underwear modeling, uh, spreadsheet But you could if you wanted. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, Now I've started cycling to work. I'm I'm getting trimming down. But um uh i was just about to get married we were trying to find a house and i met this guy uh in weirdly in at an uh, an institute of chart accountants event um not the kind of guy you'd expect to meet there but he was like if you don't quit your job you'll never get this business off the ground but that's amazing advice. And when you said to yeah. me doing a side hustle, I was like, what the fuck? This yeah. is, I mean, this sounds like failure, but it's so yeah. true, isn't it? Like you can't, you, I don't think, you, I don't do a side hustle until you know it's, yeah, if you want to get to every people, if yeah. you want to make it work, yeah. you've got to commit. You have to, because yeah. what do they say? The hungriest wolves hunt best. 
the hungriest wolves hunt best. Boom. Bang. Love that. <laughs> nice. So um, so I sort of mulled it over and I was like, well, you know, getting married, trying to find a mortgage. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but that pressure's good, though. That makes you yeah. drive, right? Like if you'd been really comfortable and you just been... Oh, yeah, guys, I can take I can take mm. a year without a salary. Ease, mate. You know, it's better yeah. that you've got that that hunger. I love that. Mm. And so you, so you, you, and all three of you did it. All three of you. So then I did it, and just after Christmas, we joined Level Thirty Nine, which was amazing, Still brand right. new at right, that right. time. Um, you Those know, people and don't know some, that's Canary Wharf. It's an accelerator. Yeah. yeah, it's the largest fintech accelerator in Europe, or it was at the time. Uh, you know, birthed some really big companies. We were sitting next to uh, Nikolai and Vlad from Revolut when they were three people. Amazing. And like, you know, some some really interesting stuff came out there. And um, and we were, um, so they weren't committing, um, and they were sort of like balancing two jobs and in the end i was like well if you don't if you don't commit i'm i'm out and sort of uh drew a line in the sand and they both quit and came on board and so that's oh they we... both quit they i thought that's not how the story's gonna go so they, so they quit the jobs and they were like so you said yeah fuck or walk and they were like i've quit I'm my in. job yeah if you guys don't do it i'm out and they both quit well, that's, that's leadership one-on-one good work <laughs> mate i like that and so then um it didn't go very well i'd be Frankly, honest, what, so what, even what was, from there. Like, why not? Well, what we didn't know as sort of fresh auditors, as accountants, right, is um, whilst we had a problem to solve and a, and we had a vision for how you would solve it, what you have to find is your market, right? And for us, the critical uh, success factor in terms of our market was getting banks to use our system so that then auditor, auditors could request from them and they could respond. And as anyone who's sold to banks will know, the sales cycle is like probably four years. And then on the other side, you've got auditors and you're like uh, trying to get them to use your software, which is unproven. And again, the sales cycle is like four years. So we were like, wow, okay. That was someone just smash us around the head with like the commercial stick mm. and it was you know we, so we started coming up with ideas for how you would actually get auditors using it without the banks on board and you know perhaps using it to generate you know templates for them really easily to make the process more efficient anyway and be a bit of a you know crm tracking tool and actually started to get some traction it's on quite that. a nice pivot yeah. yeah but we were still working with the the banks to try and get them on board and having these conversations you know where it's great and you leave the meeting and you're like yes we're in but then you hit the legal team or the compliance team yeah and so um we were at the same time trying to hide from this u.s uh competitor called confirmation a big terrible um oh sorry not terrible terrifying company that had been doing it for like 15, 10, 10 oh, so, years. So. so you didn't know about them before you started? Yeah, yeah we knew them. Oh, yeah. right. But you were like... We were like, they're doing it. We can do it. Oh, and uh, their cool. founder, Brian Fox. Um, very distinctive name. And then Good name. Hi, Brian Fox. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and um, and anyway, uh, I had hotmail.co.uk email account at the time. And I was um, still sitting at Virgin Media, um, a bit bored. And I checked my hotmail and 
the first, the top email was from Brian Fox <laughs> to my personal email account. And I was like, holy shit, we've been discovered. <laughs> and uh, forwarded it to Adam. And I was like, crap, what are we going to do? We've been found out. I mean, we didn't even have a business. I don't even know why we were scared. But like, What did he say? Uh, and he was like, hey, guys, um, you know, it's quite hard to find people who are excited about audit confirmations. And so... I'm interested to chat to you guys and understand, you know, where you're at. And actually, it was my brother who was like, uh, you better make friends with them because you might end up working together at some point. Yeah. Which was another very good bit of advice, right? And I think it sort of plays into this <clears throat> fear that entrepreneurs have that I'm like always telling people to battle, which is don't talk to people about your idea because they might steal it, right? It's shit advice. Yeah. That's you, you. You've just got to talk to as many people about your idea as possible because if someone's going to steal it, they're going to steal it anyway, whether it's today or in a year's time. And I see my theory on that is like if you like, and also every time you speak to someone about your idea, you're market testing. Yes, like someone's telling you whether it's good or bad yeah. or giving you something yeah. else or whatever. And like, and also if you've if you've got a good idea, someone else has had it. Yeah, yeah. And if someone else hasn't gone through with it, it's either because it's not mm. a very good idea, yeah, or you're just better at execution. Mm. Like it doesn't. Just stop mm. being afraid to share that idea. It's like when people are like. Oh, I'm, I, I have this thing where people would try to pitch to me for age investment. They're like, can you sign an NDA? No. No. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. I can't. Come on. Yeah. So anyway, we um, had a um, had a call with Brian. Uh, oh, so, so no, sorry. I got that email while I was still at Virgin Media, but we didn't actually have a call with them until after we'd moved into Level 39, probably about a year later, I think was the sequence of events. Right. Maybe we had a call at the time, but actually about a year later, yeah, do you know what we did? We had a call at the time because that was the advice that my brother brother gave us. And <clears throat> and then we sort of went quiet and we kind of got our own act together and started, you know, pushing out marketing, making us seem bigger than we were probably, going to level 39, which mm. is quite a big thing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Prestigious, yeah. And then, um, and then about a year later, they were like, hey guys, you're causing problems for us basically. And, you know. So you, we, you had good traction then? You were actually winning deals? Well, we had good traction with key people. So we had good traction with the British Bankers Association. Nice. And they... And how, wait, so they're just um, sales obsessive. Like, yep. how did you get traction with BBA? Um we, I just rang the right people and just kept ringing them. Oh, so just literally on the phone? On the phone. Old fashioned cold on call? And what was the, what was the value you added above what they were doing already? It was saving them time, saving them money. What was it? Um, I think it was the fact that we were local, um, there, we really understood the UK market and the challenges that the UK market has, which are very different to the US you've done market. The job, right? So yeah. yeah. And we didn't have all this legacy infrastructure, which was totally geared around the US market and the, the the way that that works. And so we had, whilst we were tiny, we had a little bit of an edge there that we were playing to our advantage. And so that was causing a blocker for them. And the British Bankers Association were the in industry body that was sitting between the banks and the audit firms to try and connect that and so um and so eventually they were like why don't we work together and by this point we were like wow okay so we're gonna have to wait years to get the get even one bank on board because of the nature of the sales cycle and 
Um, the audit firms won't trust us until we go back on board, all that kind of stuff. And so um, we were like, let's work together. Yeah, Let's do it, Brian, Dave. And uh, we sold the business to them or were acquired by them. We became their UK office. I headed it up. I worked with them for two years, built a network of- Was that an earn out? So for people, so I'm, I'm, um, for people who don't understand, so when someone acquires the business, so what happens? So they've come in and they've, you just came up with a number for the value or they gave you what they thought it was worth? Like, how do you, how does that work? Well, there's an interesting story around this and invariably you'll overvalue your business. Cause Obviously, because you're, you're, you're thinking, you're thinking, this I'm is just like, 50 million. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently on Zoopla and um, yeah. I actually always want to live in uh, in Chelsea. Yeah. So yeah, it's like that, isn't it? So, uh, and how there's three of you? There was three of us plus a chairman. Uh, the chairman was called Terry Hopcroft. He was a partner that I worked with at, at PwC. Um, and so we brought him in just to sort of guide us. As, was uh, And how were you funded? No, no investment. So all your own skin. Yep. Yeah. Ama- amazing. So that's yep. really nice. So that's a nice exit, whatever you get, because exactly. you're all going to get yep. something, right? So you, so how how did you value it for the for that process? So we valued it a lot more highly than Brian and, and how you, valued it. How did you even come to that number? There was no Because you, you're accountants. You should have a good yeah. justification, yeah. right? Yeah, there was no justification for was, anything. It was oh, like, because really? we were zero revenue, you know, you couldn't put an, it was, they were basically buying our relationships. Right. Which is expensive. Yeah. Because I say to people all the time, like building a product is nowhere. It's infinitesimally as hard as finding customers. Yep. Okay. And like, and that's why people buy businesses. They, yeah. Because they see it's not about the tech. It's about you've won customers. That is an expensive price. Salespeople are expensive. Marketing is expensive. Yeah. And it's time consuming. If I can just buy that. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. And so you're like, I've got the commodity you need, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And we... We really fundamentally understood the market better than anyone else. So it's like... you've done the job. They're yeah. a really specialist product. Um, and anyway, we, we actually long? were offered a very small amount of money, like 150 grand, 200 grand, right? So you were like you were like a couple of million and they were like, we'll yeah. give you 150 grand. Yeah. And so we were like, oh, that's a tough... That's tough. Um, yeah. It's really hard. We would like to deliver this faster. It's going to be hard to raise money or all of the above. But what happened was we were talking to a new commercial director at the BBA who we just got a meeting with and he and this had suddenly become come under his remit because the BBA had transitioned post LIBOR to from being a trade association to wanting to do more commercial stuff so that they could reduce the fees that they were charging to banks. Right. Because the fees that the BBA were charging versus the American Banks Association were a lot higher. And so the banks were like, can you supplement your income a bit with some commercial projects like this one? And so it suddenly came under his purview. And he sat down and he was like, I'd like to do uh, something with you guys. Um, I'm going to France for three weeks <laughs> to float down the uh, river on a on a uh, inflatable boat. Uh, so let's catch up. Sounds like back. a legend to this guy. And we had a deal on the table and we were about to sign and we were like, whoa, okay, so we've got the deal that transforms the market on one hand with, but there's no certainty around it. We've got a document we can sign that will give us some cash in our pockets. And now. that's to cover basically the money you've given up. Yeah. Yeah. And 
what do we do? So we were like, let's roll the dice. And so we turned down the deal from confirmation and Yummy. they sharpened their pencil <laughs> and came out with more money. You should have done that in the first place, right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The second, if someone giving you an offer, don't say yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the, the thing was though, that I think they probably had the resources and the kind of inclination to just crush us. Right. Um, but actually they, the fact that we had something that we wouldn't tell them about was enough to create a bit of FOMO, which is... I love it. It's a superpower. Yeah. I love that. So you signed the deal with BBA. So then... No, no. So then right. we said no. The confirmation guys came back with a bigger offer and we were like, okay, we'll do this. Okay. Um, and what it meant was our CTO could go and get a deposit for a house. Me and Adam got a lump of cash. We were able to set that aside. We had a you know, a revenue share as well. And we were able to set that aside. Um, and then when and, they took you on, they paid you salaries as well. Yeah. And yeah, we sure. became their UK office. We then did the deal with the BBA anyway. Um, and Amazing. we had massive success in, in the UK. So we, I grew it to 50 banks, you know, closed a load wow. of bank deals. And that was quite pivotal in my journey because actually I went from being an auditor and the first six months were hard because these, you know, American guys who are really good, they've just exited their business, Thomson Reuters for a phenomenal amount of money. And they were there going, guys, if you want to be good at sales, you need to do this, you need to do this. And we were like, no, but no. And then eventually we were like, all right, let's do what they're saying. And the learning just started at that point. And we were like, wow, this is, this is how you commercialize a business. Right. And so by the time I came to leaving after two years, to become self-employed and came up with the concept for coconut, I was a lot more aware of those kind of commercial aspects of running. As a CEO, I think like, you know, you're, who was it who came on here? Um, Chris Smith over at um, Playfair. And he has this theory that the first, he was an auditor as well. Um, no, he's a lawyer. Sorry, smeared him. Um, <laughs> that he was, uh, All he, the best people are auditors. Yeah, true, yeah. And, he's, and he said, um, he was like, look, you know, the first half a million pounds of every business should be sold by the CEO. Mm. Like you're, you know, I, I say CEOs have three talents. One, getting people excited. Two, judging talent. And three, selling. Mm. That's what you got to do, right? Um, that's really interesting. I like that story. Really good story. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. How did it feel once you're on that earnout for two years? Was that shitty or was it all right? It was really hard for the first six months because we had this strong vision for what we wanted to do with the product mm. and how we wanted to treat customers and also like our understanding of the market. But fundamentally they knew more than us. And when we came round to the fact that they'd been doing it for 10 years and knew a lot about the market, but also had this like massive technology and stuff, it became really enjoyable. Yeah, and actually sure. like the process of selling to banks was something that I became really passionate about and selling software. And it's something that you can craft quite an art form around. Um, what's, so, your, what's your what's your tips? Because I mean, I, 
I've done it a little bit, but it's what's the what's your tips about selling to banks? So banks, um, I would say what's critical or what creates momentum is there's probably 350, last time I checked, banks in the UK, right? Probably, uh, I don't know, 70 to 100 of those do current accounts, let's say. Uh, the rest do other stuff. And so one of the tricks that I learned was go and close the small banks, right, uh, to create momentum. They're not going to generate profit or revenue, but once you've got them on, you can be like, right, We last time we came, we had five banks. Now we've got 10. And then the next meeting you have, you've got 20 banks. So I'd always go for the small guys first. And then the, the big guys are going to take longer to to kind of play out. Uh, and so you're, you're always showing momentum. And then the second thing, uh, which I think comes from um, the old CEO of Bloomberg, I can't remember his name, but it's like land and expand. So in Bloomberg, they always used to try and get one terminal in. Just get one. And then people will realize the value and will go out. So if you can find a small department that has the same problem, you'll probably find it easier to get the sale there. It's it's I, I literally couldn't agree with you more. The hardest thing about selling to a bank is getting through the initial process. Mm. Because once you're in, life becomes so much easier. Yeah. And a bank is 99 million times more likely to buy from you if there's already something going on in that bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because procurement, infosec, Getting through technology is a pain in the fucking ass. And mm. so you get through that, life becomes a lot easier. So I'm going to add to that just for listeners and um, my experience as well. And I really buy into that land expand and getting lots of small banks. But the social proof model works so well with banks as well. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, these guys over this bank have got this. They're like, well, I want a piece of the action. 100%, yeah, 100% works. The other thing as well is that um, when you're in a bank, there are two types of people who work in banks. There are people who are there who are just surviving. Every day they go into their jobs and they sit there and they're just like, I just, I just want to get through this day. I just mm. want to survive, right? Don't sell to those people. If someone's had the same yeah. job for nine years on LinkedIn, just forget about them, okay? Look at the person who is changing jobs every maximum two years, every two years. They're like recognition hungry, those people. Yeah. Find those because they're going to get it. Because you know that if you work in a bank, you don't get promoted by yeah. buying the same shit. Yeah. You get promoted by buying something new and changing a process. So find those people who are going through the process of trying to get that recognition. You get on the phone to them and they're much more receptive. Yeah. And I'd be honest. That's really smart advice. And what I, the, the tough thing when you're on the other side of starting a business is actually kind of making sense of advice like that, right? It's like, I probably heard things like that. That makes perfect sense to me, but like you naturally feel optimistic when you come out of the meetings and you're like, oh, that was a great meeting. Everyone wants to move forward. Mm. But then you've got to be realistic about actually you're all a year away from from getting yeah, there. And, or, I think, or and also people get fired for fucking up, right? Think about how terrifying that is. Mm. You're in front of them now and you're saying, look, I'm going to get this. I've got this new technology which does something to avoid it. Okay. Mm. And someone's going to go to their boss and say, I want you to give me some money mm. to change this process. Mm. And what? And the TCO, total cost of ownership, of anything in a bank is unbelievably big. Mm. You'll be in like, it's going to cost you 20, 30 grand. Mm. No, it's not. <laughs> it's going to cost half a million pounds for us to do this change it's going yep. to cost an absolute fucking fortune yeah. and they've got to go and put themselves on the line to do this mm. if they're not pumped and they can't see it it's not happening yeah that's why it takes so long because so many people's jobs are a risk and people and when you see someone leaving a bank mm. 
it's usually because they fucked up on some tech. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so enough about that. All right. So you so you did that. You had an exit. Um, you're a hero to your wife because that I'm leaving my job to start a new business. That she's like, oh my god, what is he doing? Mm. You're like, well, actually, I've got some cash now. Let's buy that house. Well, we were mm. able to do an extension, which oh, well, there extended you go. the life of our property by two years. You're a hero. That's good. And, and then just to close that off, oh, Brian Fox is now on our board of Coconut and is oh invested in every single this round. This is like a love story. It's amazing. And all of the, you know, all of the, um, uh, all of the guys who we worked with there are all invested in stuff. So it's... That's the power of Sarah. That's the, I mean, that's the thing about serendipity. Do you know uh, Alex Dunstan? Yeah. You remember, yeah. Alex Dunstan talks about there is uh, one superpower mm. if you want to be good at life mm. and that is serendipity. Mm. Meet as many people as you possibly can mm. And add value to them as you go and let them know what you're doing because you don't know who's going to come back and meet you. And obviously you're doing something, you're making noise and meeting people and someone has connected you eventually to Brian Fox, mm. who's ended up being an architect for your success. Well, um, also we had Anthony Brown. So Anthony was the, um, the, the CEO of the British Banks Association. And so he helped us out for a bit as well. Amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I think... If you can form good relationships with people in everything that you do and do a good job, you know, the outcomes are yeah, immeasurable because yeah, yeah. those, you know, the confirmation guys five years on, they've exited to Thomson Reuters and they're like, right, well, you know, what's next? And, yeah. And so that. suddenly you're like, okay, cool. These people have taken a business from zero to hero and we need that expertise. I love that. I love that. So you left there, you became self-employed, you said briefly. So what, what were you doing? Yeah. So I was doing um, a sort of wound down to part-time at confirmation. Um, did a, a How did that go, of, by the way? How did that feel like when you told them, you're like, actually, guys, I'm going to hang out my gloves? Uh, it was a tough one because they really wanted me to focus on a much bigger job in the business. Um, and my boss, Dave, needed to sort of step up and he wanted me to fill his international role. And it's mm. funny because it's American company. International is anything that's not America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was like, it's, wow. It's big. That's a big job. Yeah, it is. And yeah. I really love my job. But then it was Adam's turn, right? Adam was there. He was like, mate, we've been thinking about this idea for ages. If you don't quit your job, I'm going to go and do it. So the tables turned this time round. Wow. And I was sitting there with some cash in the bank. And I think naturally when you've got some assets and you've got a kid and you're thinking of another one, you start being a bit more risk averse because you're like wanting to conserve and expand. And so I had another chat with my brother, who's a very wise, uh, very wise person. And he was like, um, let's make a budget, man. Like, Take the amount that you've got, decide how much you want to spend monthly, see how many months you've got. And if you're comfortable with that level of risk, then go for it. And so... How much did you, how long could you go? What was, what's the right answer? So it was about sort of 12 to 18 months. That's a fucking long time, mm. I reckon. I, th I mean, that's, yeah, I think I, um, yeah, I think it's, it, you're super secure at 12 to 18 months. Yeah. I think most people like, it's really difficult because when you advise people to start and you're telling people like, go out and back yourself, go out and do it. Mm. It's really difficult because the reality of it is you're not going to get paid at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough. And not a lot of people are in the position to to do that. Mm. I talk about the risk a lot. We had um, a girl here, Sam Hornsby, who says you should surround yourself with people who are adverse to risk. And she's like, because the worst case scenario, mm. it doesn't work out. You can just get another job. Like you're employable. Yeah. So mm. you just just 
just take the risk. But I always say like, but there is a reality. You have to accept that you're not going to get paid for a period of time and you've got to figure out how long it is. I, B2B, if you're selling to a bank, like it's got to be longer. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can't, because you can't get to the money's going to come in. Mm. But if you're... Well, our sales cycle on uh, Santander was four years. It's not bad. It's quite quick. Mm. Especially Santander, particularly slow. Um, did yeah. you have to go out to, to Santander? Uh, to do it? No. Oh, well, you're lucky then because yeah. that is a shit trip. Yeah. Um, but the but still, yeah, so if you're doing a B2C business, like, you can get the money a bit quicker. Mm. But like, if you can't if you can't afford to go mm. on a little bit of quiche for, for six months, you're you're in a tough situation. Yep. You can fund it with like, uh, you know, Max Kelly, he talks about doing some consultancy work. Yep. That's one, one way to do it. It's really, really tough that. Um, it is so tough. like context switching for me is one of the biggest drains in a business context switching context switching so like if you're um i think we can probably focus on two things or three things in life and do it well um and so maybe you have one job where you're thinking about that thing and doing it well because actually to do a job well, it's not just the time when you're working, it's actually the time when you're sitting on the toilet and ruminating, right? Yeah, uh, sure. And coming up with ideas. Then I have family that I prioritize. And um, and then I have a few hobbies which are managing to sneak their way back yeah, in yeah, now yeah, that yeah. my kids are getting to that age. But if I was then adding a consultancy job to that as well and going through the having to find clients... Uh, you know, these are our customers' consultants, right? There are big demands on on that that ultimately mean it would be really tough to do my job, even in the early days at, at Coconut, with those two contexts to manage. Yeah, uh, sure. And I'll probably end up doing one of them badly. I get that. That's really good advice. So you you then start Coconut. Now, um, there's a couple of things I want to speak. There's so many great things about it that I want to talk about, but some are really specific that I want to discuss with you. First of all, are you a bank? Yeah. Like, is it like, because it's like, it's a really, when someone says to you, I'm going to start a bank. Yeah. You're like, what? That is astronomically complicated. Yeah. Or are you a tech company for a start? Yeah. And how do you, what did you, what was the initial problem that you were solving that made you think, well, actually, opening up current accounts for people is the answer. Mm. So that question plays into something quite important, I think. And most importantly, it's something that I think we probably got wrong uh, at the beginning and have only really started getting it right now. Oh, wow. And How so, long have you going? Um, we launched on the 31st of January 2018, so just over two years ago. Oh, nice. So young still. Yeah. Really. Although, although startup terms, 7,000 years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you got over the first year, which is the yeah. 98% fail rate, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, just the fact that you have that question, right, is uh, means that it's not abundantly clear what our value proposition is. And I think that's one of the, one of the, one of yeah. the things that uh, founders should really focus on early on. And I think it plays into fundraising and, and your success because... I think to be really successful, you know, every individual needs to be able to carry your your message and, and pass it on uh, very easily. And so we, and with all of these things, it's a learning experience. You know, you're taking an, an auditor, an accountant and turning them into a marketeer. And like over time you learn and you're like, you have these epiphany moments. But anyway, we always started this with the view that 
being self-employed or having, you know, being an individual with a very small business uh, entails a lot of admin uh, that you have to just do because of tax, accounting and all that kind of stuff. And so as accountants, we recognize that actually the accountancy world is set up for bigger businesses. You've got Zero, QuickBooks, these cloud accounting packages, which fundamentally were built in the pre-mobile uh, era, right? And they were also built in the pre-open data era. And so we just got frustrated because we, we were self-employed, relatively simple business setup, but then had to really use Zero if we wanted to do anything around like managing our bookkeeping and things, uh, things like that. So we thought there's a there should be a better way for an a self-employed person to run their business. And so um, the starting point for us was realizing that actually most accounting packages start from putting in an invoice or capturing a receipt or a, an accounting entry. And what we wanted to do was start from the payments data because cash is the one source of truth in accounting. And that was a natural place for, or naturally led us to starting a current account, which gives really good payments data, right? It's like- so What's wrong with the, what's wrong with the payments data I've got already in my, in my other accounts? Like, you know, I've got account, bank account. Yep. Um, what's wrong with my payments data? Well, um, today there's nothing wrong with it. And that's where we've, where we are today. But when we launched, it wasn't good enough for us to do what we wanted to do. And so there's a concept that we've coined um, internally, which is accounting intelligence. And it's it's essentially when you have a transaction, you have this moment of sort of financial awareness where you're wondering what box to put it in for tax or what yeah. that box to put it in. 100% yeah. true, yeah. Or do I need to keep this receipt? Oh, and so- God, I hate keeping receipts. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, two years ago, banks didn't operate real time, yeah. right? You know, these new smart banks were coming through, but the data that you got, that I got from NatWest made it almost unintelligible to sort of remember what uh, what tra a transaction was. Because if you look, you tend to do your accounts for a year backwards, yep. right? Yeah. Even with the best will in the world, you're probably going to do that, right? If you're trying to find On clients. January 29th. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so you go through your old NatWest bank statement is like, yeah you can't understand what anything is, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the accounting intelligence is like, at that point of a transaction, can we enrich that data enough so that it's in the right box for tax, yeah, for yeah. VAT? Yeah. You've attached your receipt and maybe put a note on. That is already in the hands of your accountant if you have one. Yeah. But when you go back and look at it, it's just ready for you. And so right. we had to find a real-time rich source of payments data. And so starting a starting with a smart current account was a natural thing to do because when you the so you open a coconut current account, get a coconut MasterCard, when you make a transaction, it puts it in the right box of tax. You've got all the bookkeeping functionality. And then when you receive income into that account, it's the same. Right. It's very easy to categorize and things like that. So simplifying the experience. And that's why you ask, are we a bank? Which we're not. We're a, we have a current account as a feature. And that was where we started. But what we found was that was 
really powerful as a sort of um, lab to start building our accounting intelligence. And then in in December, we launched our open banking functionality. So now, now you can just come into Coconut. You can connect up your Barclays account or your HSBC account or your Starling account or your Monzo account. And you've got all of the same features around accounting automation, but you don't necessarily need to use our current account. And so the way that we frame that is like the ultimate accounting and tax tool for self-employed people. How how much do you scale up to? So you're not just self-employed. Does it go up to small businesses, like people, 10 people? Or is that like, is it just free sort of the one? No, it's just one person running a business or maximum two directors if you're a limited company. Amazing. Uh, and that makes up about 90% of SMEs. Yeah. It makes up about 90% of the growth in SMEs since uh, 2001. Um, and that the reason for that is actually that the technology to solve the biggest challenge around starting a business, which is finding a market, is improving all the time. And so 50% of Amazon's revenues come from third-party sellers on the platform. Wow. So I've had so many great conversations with Amazon sellers who are making, you know, half a million quid a year traveling the world, and they've got this market they don't even see the products. Oh, FBA is amazing. It's, it's amazing. unbelievable. It's yeah. mental. I've, I've done it. It's amazing. Huge volumes of online sellers. You've got people who are creatives, right? Media, people, um, podcasts are booming. We've talked about that. Um, I've heard that. You've heard <laughs> Driven by really high quality podcasts. Correct. Like this one. But uh, um, in general, create, the creative sector is booming and, and it's natural for creatives to work on a project basis. So self-employment's a... Is, is key but also then you've got platforms like podia that are enabling people or or um substack that are enabling people to monetize their creative content and create their own personal brand so there's predictions that 50 percent of the u.s uh workforce will have either a side gig or be full-time self-employed in a Amazing. few years and so we are we think that that group is sufficiently different to what we would call normal SMEs. Yeah, love it. I think it's really good. I, yeah. I totally buy into that mentality. I know that's really good. Um, like looking at your total adjustable market, like looking for that gap. I really like that. I don't want to sound like I'm just, you know, mm. blowing you up there, but I think that's, that's, that's really insightful. So the one, a couple of things, because we're going to run out of time and I want to cover them off. Your funding journey, you started off with what, a bit of angel investments on your own cash, um, you took some VC money or you took a bit from, is that right? We've or? got no institutional money. Amazing. But did you get any from Techstars because you're on the program? Uh, yeah, we you went through Techstars. So, okay. so yeah, arguably there. Yeah, take, but I mean like yeah. what a program. I'm so, I, yeah. everyone who listens to this show knows. I've, Transformative. Yeah. I'm absolutely a huge fanboy. Um, and the, um, but now you're doing a crowd round. Yep. Like talk to me about that. I'm so fascinated about it. What made you come to the conclusion that you should do that? First of all, mm -hmm. what are the perks of it? And how the fuck do you find enough people to do it? Yeah. So we did our first crowdfunding round in 2018. Oh, so you've done one already? Yep. Yeah, uh, how big was we that? We raised 1.8 million, 2,000 investors. 1.8 million. So you had to personally raise 900 grand of that first before you were public? No. You didn't have to do 50. You went straight to the public round. When I think I had, uh, you know, a small amount of direct checks in there. Okay, fine. Um, but very little. 
Um, okay. The vast majority came from uh, customers and the sort of wider community and then some of the crowdkeeping community as well. So how many people did you have in your... I'm so fascinated by the numbers around crowdfunding because, mm. you know, the average check was what? Like, how big? A thousand pounds. A thousand pounds. So that's quite, it's quite low, but still amazing. Yep. Um, so you had... It's a lot of people. So how you had a mailing list? Where did that come from? Mm. How did you market to these people? Yeah. So at the time, we had a um, we had about three and a half thousand customers. Oh, so you had um, some really great traction to begin with. Yeah, I mean, we were pretty small by today's standards, but um, uh, we definitely had an audience. I think we had about twelve thousand people on our mailing list. You just grew that organically yourselves. Yeah, so that was basically people who started the process or were interested and didn't make it through to customer. Nice. Um, so we capture our email address. At yeah, perfect. Yeah. And so what we did was um, work quite closely with Crowd CrowdCube on it as well because they're, they're experienced in this and they know how to do it. But um, we we realised that actually, so the, one of the earliest things that we did, and it was actually um, someone called Hermione Way who who. Uh, we did a little bit of work with and she was like Facebook groups kicking off and you should build an audience because it means that you can understand their problems and engage them in your product. And so we started a, a Facebook group called Coconut Bite and that just started ballooning with and the level of engagement in it was like what what were they engaging with? They were just saying about their problems. Loving the focus on their problems really we unearth something some sort of vein of passion around this kind of stuff because there are a lot of self-employed people dotted around the uk who are you know often working from home um it's kind of tough mm. right when you're out there and you're trying to do everything um you're trying to win clients do your admin uh get the kids off to school um keep the house clean whatever um or uh you know various various different things and so we just started engaging and everyone started engaging back. And so we had probably about 1,500 people, I think, off the top of my head, maybe 1,000 in this group that were just so highly engaged that we could post new features and we get feedback on it, comments, and that really helped us to develop the, the, the product. And so there was a sign that people were really excited about what we're doing in the vision and we would have events and bring them together and it just started at that point really kind of taking on a life of its own so i remember when we started doing community events i think about we had about 20 people there and about 15 of them were from 11fs because it went around on their slack group right yeah, sure yeah, yeah. And they were all like oh yeah, we'll go and yeah. see what you're doing yeah um and you know, the the launch for the first crowdfunding we did was packed. Couldn't fit any more people in the room. So it was like 250 people. Wow. Um, and so... How much did that cost, that event? Did you do something you just hired a room out? Got it free. It was in Runway East. Yeah. Uh, so I think we got the, the room free because we were based there. Yeah. Uh, and we probably spent 300 quid on pizza and... Um, and you just went yeah. you just pitched for like 10, 15 minutes about why this is sexy and then you took pledges. Well, how did it? And then we had a pre-registration page. Yeah. And we got about 1,500 people pre-registered. And then we kicked off and it just seemed to sort of 
take on a life of its own. But it's perfect because you're winning customers as well, aren't you? It's such a great fit for you, isn't it? Because you yeah. know, if someone's investing, they're going to work with you as well. It's such a, a natural fit. So you're doing another round now? Yeah. And so we, as a business, and um, I'm, I met with um, a sort of quite prolific investor um, in accounting tech, let's call it. Uh, you know, he owns a sizable chunk of zero and things the other day. And, and what he, he said was he, he loves this space because with accounting, you know, there is a lot that you need to do to build the bedrock features because accounting is inherently complicated. But once you're there and you've had enough time to do that, you build a real moat around it because mm. you're so embedded within people's lives and experiences. And so that crowdfund enabled us to get those bedrock features built, deliver open banking so that we then took the market that we were addressing from probably 200,000 people a year who are either look in the market for a new bank account or looking to switch to the 5 million self-employed people who are currently with Barclays or HSBC and just want a turbocharged mm. bank account to sort their accounting out. Yeah, I get it. And so your yeah. market suddenly increases by like 3,000%. And so we're like, right, now we're going to raise another chunk of cash and we'll let that bed in. So overnight our conversion, you know, I was saying about email sign up to customer, mm -hmm. that used to be 25%. It's now 75%, right? And the Perfect. transformation is like, Incredible. So by the time we get to the end of this year, you're going to see much more growth in terms of revenue, much more growth in terms of customers. And so you, it feels like the sort of gears have shifted and the money that we're raising now is really just, uh, you know, in order to continue doing that I stuff and knit it all together. That makes perfect sense. I love that. So um, just before we close off, um, what's your number one top tip for crowdfunding? Um, crowdfunding is really hard. Uh, and the biggest success stories are where you bring your community to the table and you get everyone pumped about what you're doing and they invest in you. Um, and so I would always, if you're building a business, get a community around it, you know, like engage with people, whether it's small, big, whatever, just find the most excited people about what you're doing and build a relationship with them. Uh, you know, know them by name, invite them to events, and those will form the core of actually your support. Uh, and it's very virtuous in terms of like, you bring in those 2000 people, and they're out promoting what you're doing to all of their friends. And you can keep sending emails about updates, and that enables them to do what I said is a really good thing to do, which is hopefully you'll come away with this going, oh, you're not a banking product, you're the ultimate accounting and tax tool for self-employed people. And that's the message that those 2,000 people are just, you know, promoting and that helps you grow. I love it. Sam, this has been wonderful. Thanks, Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for coming on.